We're looking forward to it. Praise the Lord. Are you ready for the word tonight? Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are just thankful and grateful for the privilege to look into the word together. We thank you, Lord, for this glorious opportunity that we have to be able, Lord, to uh, receive whatever it is that you have for us tonight. We know it's always good. But, Lord, we ask you to give utterance in the Holy Ghost that the word will come forth that needs to come forth and we'll hear what we need to hear. Those in this room, those who will watch uh, by video later, and those who are watching online now, Lord, we just believe you to speak to every heart. And we give you the thanks and we give you the praise. We acknowledge you as God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, praise the Lord. Two weeks ago, we began talking about divine healing, and we emphasized our response to the anointing. Our key scripture that night was Isaiah 10, 27, the um, scripture that declares that the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. And, of course, we know that it is yoke-destroying, burden-removing power. That's what the anointing is. And then uh, last week, we looked at our response uh, on a personal level, especially in the area of evil spirits. Now, I'm not talking necessarily about demon possession. You've probably not met anybody fully possessed of the devil, maybe in your entire life. Uh, there are those who are, uh, but in our culture today, many times before people get to that place, uh, they are warehoused, usually drugged, and uh, basically imprisoned almost rather than delivered, and that's sad because in the days of Jesus, in the days of the early church, when people were lunatics, as they would have been called, they were delivered and set free and turned around. And so maybe you have seen somebody like that and in your lifetime, but most have not in this culture today. But yet, just because someone is not fully given over to the devil doesn't mean that they aren't somehow or another perhaps oppressed by the devil. Not everybody is, but there are spirits of infirmity. We found that from Luke 13 last week. The woman that was bowed over with a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. That's a long time, isn't it? A long time to be sick. And the Bible says, Jesus said, Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, be loosed from this infirmity? And so her rights as a, a Jewish lady, her rights as a covenant person, said that she ought to be loosed. So why, for all those years, was she not loosed? Because there was no deliverer. Nobody that knew how to get her free. And she didn't know about the freedom that was available to her. You know, it really is a great lesson in how important it is to show up at church. What if she hadn't been there that day? What if Jesus had been there and everybody else had been there, but she'd just stayed home? She might have said, well, you know... I've been suffering for many, many years, and I'm not feeling good today, so I think I'll just stay home. People do that all the time, you know, and wonder where their answer is, wonder where their help is. Well, it was in the meeting that you didn't show up. That happens to a lot of people, a lot of people. And so we understand that there are spirits of infirmity, and not every sickness is caused by a spirit of infirmity, but some are. Some are just physical malfunctions or deformities in some way or another. But all of these things are fixable. All of these things, from all these things, we can be healed. And so we understood and we emphasized a lot about spirit of infirmity, spirit of fear, and particularly 
the fear of death. Now, I want to go tonight because we didn't quite get finished with everything we should have covered. But tonight we will go into a little more detail. I want to go to James chapter 4 in your Bible. If you have it and you want to open with me, you can, you can turn to this familiar verse. James, the fourth chapter. And I want to look at verse number 7. James chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Now I want you to notice we have a responsibility where these evil spirits are concerned. Our responsibility is to resist. Jesus' responsibility that he so aptly and ably fulfilled 2,000 years ago was to defeat the devil. And legally take his right to be able to afflict us or to touch us or to steal, kill, and destroy in any way. To take that right legally away from him. And Jesus accomplished his job superbly. And so now, legally speaking, Satan is actually under our feet because we're in the body of Christ. And Satan's under the feet of the Lord Jesus. But here, James says that we do have on the earth... While we're here, some responsibilities here, we are to resist the devil. And when we do that, he will flee from us. Now, that word flee means to run in stark terror. It's amazing to think about the devil's afraid of you. The devil is really afraid of you. At least he's afraid of you potentially because he knows that if you find out who you are, if you really have a revelation of who you are in Christ, and then you begin to resist him steadfastly in the faith, he knows that he has absolutely no defense for that, none whatsoever. And so we must learn how to resist the devil. And we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight and get him to flee from us. And I think it's very good just to note the next verse is the verse that says, verse 8, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. And so what we want to do is resist the devil and draw near to God. Resist the devil, draw near to God. So we resist, we don't entertain. You say, what do you mean entertain? Well, as long as we are allowing the devil to run roughshod over our mind and over our thinking... As long as we allow him to so dominate our thinking that we begin to start talking the problem, talking about the sickness, talking about the disease, talking about the lack, talking about whatever it might be. In this case, we're talking about sickness and disease. When we begin to do that, we have taken those thoughts. I want to say this tonight, and we'll come back to it probably a little more as we get into this, but words are always more powerful than thoughts. Thoughts aren't yours until you take it. How do we take a thought? Well, Jesus said, take no thought saying in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that? What shall we eat? What shall we drink? So on and so forth. A thought becomes yours when you say it. And the more you say it, the more you reinforce it. The more you own it, the more it becomes you. And so what we don't want to do is entertain thoughts of disease, sickness, premature death, disasters, all the things the devil tries to bring to us. We don't want to entertain these things. We want to resist them. 
And so really what I'm saying to you tonight is that the, the, one of the greatest areas of the battle for your success as a believer, one of the greatest areas of battle in our, in our Christian life is a battle of the mind. Because think about it for just a minute. There, there's nothing else that I can do or I need to do, as far as that's concerned, to, to defeat the devil. I'm not trying to defeat the devil necessarily. What I'm trying to do is enforce the defeat that Jesus has already brought to him. Through resisting the devil, I can come to the place where he will flee from me. Now, obviously, I'm not powerful enough in my own uh, uh, strength to defeat him in a literal sense, but I don't have to. I just have to use my authority. You remember in the Gospels when it says that Jesus told his disciples, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy? Anybody remember that? I think the King James says, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. What you need to know is, and maybe somebody could find that verse and tell me. I'll mention it. Maybe some, somebody might be watching that needs to... to uh, uh, write that down and go and look at it for yourself. I would like to, to do that so somebody can find it right fast. He said, I, Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. And you shall tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And so what, what are those words? Well, the first word, power, in the King James, is really the word exousia. It is the word authority. So Jesus actually said, and what the people of that day heard him say was, I, Behold, I give you authority over all the dunamis, power, different word, of the enemy. Behold, I give you authority over the devil's power. See, the devil does have some power as the God of this world. Until his lease runs out and Jesus sets up his kingdom you know, we're dealing with demons and evil spirits. We don't have to be afraid of them, but they're out there and we have to deal with them. But you have authority over them. Your authority is greater than the devil's power. Did you find that verse? Oh, thank you. Luke ten nineteen. Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. That's, that's uh, another way of saying demons. And over all the power, all of the dunamis, all of the strength, you might say, not technically strength, but, you know, power that the devil can muster, you have authority greater than that. So really, when you think about it, authority is, is the great key. Knowing your place in Christ, knowing who you are. So can you see why the devil doesn't want Christians to know who they are? This is a truth he doesn't want to know anything about. He wants Christians to beg. He wants Christians to cry and moan and beg and blame God for their troubles and just continually talk about why they don't understand how that it's not working. Why isn't it working? I've done this. I've done that. I've done the other thing. You know, and, and still I've got this problem. That's where the devil wants to hold people. Or he wants to hold them in a place where they're always constantly looking to the future. I hope someday, maybe, I'm, I'm, I'm planning some of these days it's going to happen, you know. And always keep it in the future. Always keeping it out there somewhere else. No, we need to understand we have authority now. Right now in the name of Jesus. Jesus. 
There is no demon, no spirit of infirmity, not even the spirit of death that doesn't have to bow to the name of Jesus. And you are in Christ. You are in Jesus. And you have been, been given authority to use the name of Jesus over the devil. So don't entertain the devil. Resist him in the name of Jesus. But you see, you will not do this, I, I can tell you, nobody will do this until their mind is renewed to these truths I'm giving you tonight. If I'm telling you new things, then don't throw them away. Open your own Bible, prove them for yourself, make them a part of your life. Do what we're going to read in just a moment, Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2. Put this to work in your life. G, uh, Paul writes to the Roman believers here and says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice in the area of the battle of the mind, we are responsible to renew our mind. How do we do that? Well, last week, you remember I talked a little bit about immersing ourselves in the Word of God. I gave my testimony some of it, and I, I talked about uh, the effort that, that I was led to make to immerse myself in the four Gospels and to immerse myself in healing teaching because that's what I was needing at the moment, at that particular time. Well, everybody's going to need that from time to time. No matter what your physical condition is today, no matter what your age is today, there will be times in all our lives when we're going to need to use our faith for healing and for our health. I wish I could just tell you that, you know, because you're saved, because you're so nice, because you come to Freedom Word Church, that, that, that you'll never have to use your faith for that. But that, would be, that wouldn't be true. I'd be lying to you. you. You're going to have to use your faith. And so faith doesn't really work well for people who don't have a renewed mind. You see, faith is a spiritual force. But without a renewed mind, we don't know what to think. We don't know really what to believe without a renewed mind. I like that uh, quote over there on the wall from F.F. F. Bosworth's book, Christ the Healer. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Now, what happens when we immerse ourselves in the Word of God? Well, I'll tell you what happens. I know what happened to me, and I know what happens to anybody that will do it. There will be this spiritual force called hope that will begin to arise on the inside of you. Hope will begin to manifest. And what is hope? Well, hope is the confidence of a reality that can come to pass, a potential reality, something that we believe for and we can put our faith to. Now, I want to point this out. You can't hope for something that's impossible. Now, I know there are things in life that look impossible. The devil tells you they're impossible. Even people will tell you they're impossible, but they're not. For with God, all things are possible. But what I mean by, by saying that you can't hope for what's impossible is let me give you this radical, extreme example but it proves the point I'm making tonight. I can't, I have no hope of carrying a baby to term and giving birth to a child. I have no hope of that. I have no hope of looking like I'm 16 again 
No, that was 50, almost 50 years ago that I was 16. So there are some things in this natural world that are not, hope is, you know, you're not going to have a, a, re, a real hope for. But I do want you to know this, anything that is expressed in the Word of God that's available to a believer, you can have hope for. You can have a confident expectation that this is available for me and my faith will retrieve it. My faith will go into the spiritual dimension where all good and perfect gifts come from and will bring it into manifestation into my physical life right now. Amen. Now I want to go to Hebrews chapter 6 and talk for a minute, a few more minutes, about this thing called hope because it is very, very important to us. Hebrews chapter number 6. And I want to look at verse 19 for sure. Um, verse 19, Hebrews chapter 6. Which hope we have, Paul says. So believers have hope. And you can read the context about how he's talking about people who go through to receive the blessings of God and so forth. And, and uh, he gives some wonderful examples but um, example in this passage, but he says in verse number uh, 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, an anchor of the soul. The only other places in the New Testament where this word anchor is used, the original word that we have the, the word anchor for, the only other places that it's used is literally anchors for ships. So when he talks about an anchor of the soul, he's using a metaphor here to help us to see that there's something that will do for your soul what an anchor does for a ship. There was, there's something that will do for your mind, your will, your emotions, your intellectual capabilities. There's something that will do for that part of your makeup just like an anchor, a big metal anchor, same thing that it will do for a ship. Now, what does an anchor do? Well, an anchor goes from the ship and drops down through the water. And water is an unstable medium. Water moves. Water is subject to wind. It's subject to various uh, you know, currents and things like that, that that come. Water is not stable. I mean, you, you know, you can even look at water, and it may look pretty calm and still, but, you know, there might be currents under there that would take you under and drown you. So we know to be cautious about it. Water is an unstable medium. Now, this says that hope is an anchor for the soul. Now, so evidently, there is something unstable that hope needs to go through, what would that be? Well, it's all the stuff of this world. It's all the emotions and all the ideas and all the thoughts and all the opinions and all the junk that's out there that tries to bombard your mind to keep you from believing what the Word says. And believe me, there is a lot of stuff out there to take you off the Scripture to, to get you focused on something else, your, your feelings, your emotions, uh, all kinds of things. So there's a lot of instability in our world. But there's something 
that will go through that like an anchor goes through water. And notice what he goes on to say in uh, verse number 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. So he's referring here, if you study the book of Hebrews, to the holiest of holies. So if you can just imagine for a minute, uh, an anchor from a ship goes through the water, it goes down. And it goes down far enough, you know, it touches the, the bottom and holds the ship in place. That's what the purpose of it is. To keep it from uh, floating away, going, you know, losing the ship, it holds it in place. Well, this anchor goes the exact opposite. It doesn't go down, it goes up. And, and this anchor goes all the way into the very throne room of heaven. It goes into the presence of God. And it does the same thing that a natural anchor does for a ship. It is going there in order to hold us steady into the promises of God. And he goes on to say, whither, verse 20, the forerunner for us entered. So in other words, somebody else has already went there to this place where our anchor is, even Jesus. Made in high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Notice that he's saying your hope is your anchor into the presence of God. Your hope holds you steady. When the tests come and they will, the storms come and they will. When doubters Try to talk you out of it, and they will. I mean, we could go on and on and on with that list, but I think you understand what I'm saying. There will be things to try to take you off your faith. That hope you have, that renewed mind begins, you, begins uh, you know, turning in you, and you begin to realize, hey, I don't have to have this sickness the rest of my life. I know what the doctor said. I appreciate his professional opinion, and I'm not going to argue with him necessarily, but I know what I believe. And I believe God's word over the word of the doctor or anybody else. I know what my genetics tell me. I know what my mom, or I know what my dad had or did. They did this way and that way. Or they died young or they had a propensity for this disease or that disease. I know what the facts say, but I also know what the truth says. The word of God says. And there's where my hope is. And it's not just a, a, a wish this hope here is not a wish. It is a confident expectation that God will perform what his word has said. He'll just do what he said, in other words. That's where my hope is. And that hope in the word of God will take me right in, uh, hold me right into the presence of God where I can receive everything that I need. And that's what this is about. You've got, in other words, you've got to start seeing yourself well. You've got to start seeing yourself as living long, living strong, and living well. You've got to see yourself without whatever it is, disease, deformity, and infirmity of any kind. You've got to see yourself free from the devil's tormenting spirits of fear and any spirit of infirmity. And how do we do that? How do you resist the devil and stay on your hope? I'm glad you asked because I've got a good answer for you tonight. I want you to go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And this is where we will wrap up this brief message. I hope it's been brief enough to suit you.
But anyway, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Praise the Lord. Verse number 3. Verse number 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh or according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or natural. They're not of the flesh. Now let's stop just for a minute and think about what we're reading. There is a battle that doesn't involve a sword, a gun, a cannon, a bomb. There's a battle that doesn't involve fists and kicks and whatever people use to fight with. There is a battle that occurs spiritually and mentally that we are called to fight. And we are given the tools to win if we know how to use what God has given to us. And here's what we are looking to use. Verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That means we have some weapons, but they're not natural. As a matter of fact, he says, but mighty through God to the pulling down of what? Strongholds. Notice he doesn't say pulling down of sickness, pulling down of disease, pulling down of poverty, pulling down of fear, even though we know that's all true. We have victory in all those areas. But notice he concentrates on the common denominator to sickness, disease, poverty, fear, mental illness, depression, and all the rest. The common denominator is these strongholds. Strongholds. And these strongholds have their uh, primary manifestation, or at least their beginning of manifestation, is in the mind. The devil can't get to your spirit if it's born again. So he will try to attack your body, and he'll try to torment your mind. I want to say that again. That's very important. The devil cannot get in your spirit if you're born again. But he will try to attack your body, and he'll try to attack your mind. And I'll just tell you this right now. If he can get a stronghold in your mind, he usually can do a lot of stuff in your body as well. And so we've got to win this battle. And, and we know it's a fight, or we wouldn't have weapons. I mean, why would we need weapons if there's no battle? So there is a battle. And notice here, it doesn't say either pulling down of demons. Now, we know that if there is a demon and we come to know there is a demon through revelation, through discerning of spirits, through a word of knowledge, there are various ways God can let people know that this is absolutely demonic. Well, we know at that point we do need to deal with the devil and use the name of Jesus and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and deal with the devil. But... We also understand that, that one of the ways the devil works is through building these strongholds in our minds. Thoughts that he keeps bombarding us with that we don't resist, we don't put down, we don't properly deal with. We've all probably been there. I don't, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I will raise mine. You know, I've been there in a place where there have been times when my mind has went places, and then I, I, I kind of, uh, kind of awakened and realized, what am I doing here? 
how did I get to this place, you know? And I realized I've got to back myself out of there. I've got to do something about this because I don't want the devil building a stronghold. It doesn't mean that we can't get free even of a stronghold, but you want to jump on the devil as soon as you smell him. You know what I mean by that? As soon as, as, soon as he starts, those fiery darts, those thoughts that come across our mind, you've got to deal with them. And those strongholds must be pulled down. How do we do that? Verse 5, casting down imaginations. What's an imagination? It's a mental image. Casting down imaginations or mental images and every high, and, and, and actually in the, the margin of the King James, instead of the word imaginations, it uses the word arguments. And that's the way, one of the big ways the devil works. You declare the truth, and he says, but, and gives you the other side. I'm believing God for, fill in the blank, and the devil says, but, and he gives you the reasons why you can't have it or you can't do it. That's the battle that constantly goes on for a believer. It's not one we can't win. It's not one that we're not uh, able to, to, to uh, be victorious in, but we have to be diligent. And we have to resist the devil. And there are times when the devil will test you in certain areas. And when he realizes it's not going to work, then he might back away from that until he can figure out another strategy. That's what he did with Jesus, you know. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, it says that the devil departed from him because the devil, devil, uh, uh, Jesus rather, whipped the devil. Just one, two, three. He, he took care of him with the word of God. And so the devil departed from him for a season, the Bible says. He was waiting on a more convenient season, we read in the word about how the devil operates. And so there are times you're just going to have to show him this is not working, devil. It's not going to work. I don't care what I feel like. I don't care what I look like. I don't care what the XYZ report says. I don't care about any of that. I know what the word says. And you're not going to kill me with that. And you're not going to afflict me to the point that I cannot do what I'm supposed to do as a normal person. I'm not going to lay down to this. I'm going to resist you. Well, verse 5 says we do it by casting down these arguments, casting down these imaginations, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And, notice this last part, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You have to bring your thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. How do you deal with those crazy thoughts? How do you deal with those ungodly thoughts? How do you deal with those uh, thoughts of failure, those thoughts of death, those thoughts of sickness, those thoughts of inadequacy, whatever you, you want to put in there. How do you deal with it? How do you deal with a thought? You deal with thoughts with words, spoken, spoken words. Words always are more powerful than thoughts. That's why Jesus said, take no thought saying, because your words Locate you. Your words plant you in whatever place your words, wherever they take you. If you're always talking poverty, lack and want, if you're always talking about the good things happening to other people, that's the way you'll live. 
If you're always talking your sickness and your disease, it will get worse and worse. It will become more and more a part of your life. It will get bigger and it'll get bigger until it just basically rules your life and runs over you. It can, you know, any number of things we could, uh, we could go there with, but you get that picture. So we bring these thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. How do you do that? You immediately respond to the devil with words. I've been driving down the road before, nobody in the car but me. The devil say something, I say, no, that's not going to be that way. Now, if somebody would have been in the back seat, they'd probably go, what, what do you mean? What, what's not going to be that way? I didn't hear anything. Well, I had heard something on the inside. You know what I mean? That mental image, that picture. The devil will play and replay over and over and over again that picture of your death, your funeral. He gets you, he'll get you to wondering what they're going to do with the insurance money. He'll get you to wondering how long will she stay single. He'll get you to wondering all... <laughs> he'll get you wondering all kinds of things. He'll try to paint a picture of an agonizing death. He'll try to paint a picture of an early death. He'll try to paint a picture of you losing your mind. He'll try to paint a picture of you in some care place somewhere, unable to even take care of your own self. He'll paint you all the kinds of pictures you can think of. He'll paint a picture of you dying of a heart attack. Have you noticed the devil never tells you when you have all those strange pains up in your body? He never says, it's just gas, don't worry about it. He never says that. He'll always tell you it's a heart attack or it's cancer or whatever. The devil's a liar, my brother and sister. And when he's resisted, he'll flee. But if we don't resist him, the thought would be, obviously, if you don't resist him, he's just going to hang around. He'll camp out and he'll just keep telling you the same old stuff over and over and over again. And his whole hope is to convince you of that. Because, and when he gets you to saying it, he's on his way. And your words will take you wherever they're going. If your words are going to health, that's where you're going. If your words are going to sickness, that's where you're going. And poverty or whatever the case might be. And so we can't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. If you're with people, just if that's it, do it under your breath. But don't try, and this, this is something that's very important. Remember, words control thoughts. You can only listen to one voice at a time. When this service is over, there'll be a bunch of people talking. You know, that's fine. But uh, you know and I know that you won't be able to tune in to every single conversation that's going to go on here in a few minutes. No, you can only listen to one of them at a time. You can't listen to six people talk and comprehend and know what they all say. You're going to have to decide and focus on one conversation. Well, when you're fighting the fight of faith, you've got to learn that your voice is the most important voice apart from the voice of God. And you need to hear what you've got to say. You need to hear your voice. And that means since your voice means so much to you, and it is the one you trust most, I mean, unless you're just a pathological liar, you believe what you say. So it's important that your words are the right words. It's important that you speak what God's word says. And when you do that, you are in effect shutting up the devil. You can't listen to him and listen to you at the same time. That's how you shut the devil up. Amen. 
And so we have to, uh, we have to deal with this. And remember this. The devil is not going to win in the arena of faith, which requires the spoken word. But if you try to whip the devil in the mental realm only, and you try to play the reasoning game with him, you try to outsmart him, you try to outreason him, you think that I can logically think this through and I'll be the winner, you're very foolish if you think that. You won't beat the devil at the mental argument, but you will whip him good with the words of your mouth. It's just that simple. That's the great key to walking in healing and health. That's the great key to seeing change. You put that with dealing with the devil if there are spirits, like we talked about last week, and you connect that then with touching the anointing, being in the place where the Spirit of God moves, being in services where the power of God flows, where people believe in the gifts of the Spirit, the laying on of hands, where there's anointed ministry. You couple these things together and then you go home and you fight the good fight of faith. You cast down those imaginations and you allow your words to dictate where you're, where you're going. I mean, you become invincible. James says your tongue is like the rudder on a ship. You know, they, they have... Uh, they have tankers that carry oil that, I mean, they're longer than a football field. Huge things with thousands of tons that they can haul. I mean, these are enormous vessels. And they're turned with a very small rudder. I mean, in comparison to the size of that ship, the rudder is just so small, it almost seems insignificant. If somebody didn't know how this thing worked, they'd think, what is that little thing? What could that do? Well, that thing determines where that ship's going. And James says, your tongue is like the rudder on a ship. It's going to determine where you go. It's going to determine what your life is about. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, thank you, Jesus. I'm glad I came tonight. I needed to hear all this. Father, we thank you tonight. Your word is good. Your word is precious. Your word is anointed. And there's no God like you. There is no God but you. Men have their own gods and their idols and all of that, but there is no real God but you, Father. And you're our Father. The Lord Jesus Christ is our elder brother, our Savior, our Lord, our High Priest. And so, Father, tonight we just want to thank you that your healing power is at work in our bodies. We thank you, Lord, that we're learning how to resist the devil in the name of Jesus. We're learning how to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We're learning how to put our words to work for us. We're learning, Lord, how faith works. And we're learning how to walk in a place of victory and a place of great hope. We refuse to remove our anchor from behind the veil. We will not let go of the promises of God. We will not cast away our hope. We will not cast away our confidence. But we are steadfast in believing and trusting in you. In the mighty, glorious, wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen.